Hi, guys. Sorry I wasn't here last week, but I was on vacation. Mental health is like a really big thing in the vet world. And so I feel like I just needed to take some time off and not be next to my computer constantly. And we had a really good time. So thanks for bearing with me for a week. And if you don't know me, real quick, I am Dr. Sugarman, and this is our Vetsplation Staff Edition. And today, we are going to be talking about strychnine poisoning in pets. So first, we're going to discuss like what strychnine is. It is a really highly toxic alkaloid that is found in certain plants, including this plant called the Strychnose nux vomica tree. It is also used as like a pesticide for rodents and other pets. If it's ingested by pets, it can be super life-threatening. So now you're probably like, okay, I don't understand anything that you just said. So we're going to break down like some of those things real quick. So you're probably asking first, like, what is an alkaloid? Because I said strychnine is a highly toxic alkaloid, right? So don't worry, you're going to be learning lots of new terms today. An alkaloid is actually a class of naturally occurring substances that contain nitrogen and are basic. So when you think of things like acids and bases or something that's very acidic or very basic, very common thing that's very basic is going to be ammonia. Um, it's also an alkaloid too. But I bet you also didn't know for some of those technicians out there that morphine is a alkaloid. Nicotine is an alkaloid as well. So alkaloids can also be found in animals. They've been found in things like the beaver and also poisonous dart frogs. My point is that basically the fact that strychnine is a poison and is an alkaloid does not mean that all alkaloids are toxic, right? A beaver, not very toxic. Um, ammonia can be toxic because it's used as mostly like a cleaning product. Morphine, that's a bit of a stretch. Like sometimes it can be toxic if you overdose it, but if we give that to a lot of patients, so those are not toxic. And things like nicotine, we don't know that's toxic, right? But some alkaloids are toxic and some alkaloids are not. It just means that this is a product that's found naturally and it has nitrogen in it and is basic. That's it. This toxin has been used to control pests such as like gophers, rats, moles, and even coyotes because people don't like coyotes as pests in their yard. It's supposed to be buried, but most people don't bury them and instead throw them on the ground or the dogs will just dig it up. Unfortunately, there are also people who use these baits to poison pets as well. It's a common one. They usually look like a pellet or a grain from most of the commercial baits, but I have also seen them as like a stick that they've put in the ground. So unfortunately, we've seen too many strychnine poisonings before. They don't happen as often now, luckily, but unfortunately, they do still occur. And these poisonings can be very sudden. So it's really important to understand what the signs and symptoms of strychnine poisoning are so we can better triage these pets and get them treated as soon as possible. Now that we know what strychnine is, now we're going to talk about how it works. Strychnine is mostly absorbed by the pet or a pest that's ingesting the toxins. They usually like ingest it and eat it. Our stomach is very acidic. So we talked about how strychnine is very basic and our stomach is very acidic. That's how it helps break things down a lot of times. But that acidity changes the molecule of the strychnine from something really stable because it can just sit out in the world as just a pellet and not doing anything. So it changes that from a very stable product to a very unstable product. This is called ionization. See, learning new words, right? Once this molecule is very unstable, though, it is quickly absorbed 
through the walls of the small intestines and the stomach, and it goes into the bloodstream. After it enters that bloodstream, it starts working on the nerves of specifically the spinal cord and the brain, a very specific part of the brain called the medulla. The medulla usually just means like the inside of the brain. It works by blocking a very specific neurotransmitter that's called glycine. A neurotransmitter is basically just some molecule that tells your brain or your muscles or something else to do something. So it blocks this glycine. What glycine is essentially is it tells your nerves to relax. So think of it, like the best way I think about this is if you think of somebody who, like a kid who has ADHD, my kids have ADHD, so I understand this, but like kids who have ADHD, those kids, like they're all over the place, right? They like cannot sit still. My daughter, Abigail, like literally cannot sit still for enough time to be able to sit down and eat dinner at a table. Like she's just all over the place. So this glycine would be that inhibitor that tells the nerves to like stop firing. In our ADHD kid, it would tell them to calm down so that that way they can sit in one place for at least a couple of minutes. But if we inhibit glycine, that tells the nerves to continuously fire. So it'd be like our ADHD kid, like just literally bouncing all over the walls. We've given our ADHD kid sugar, tons of sugar, and now they're just like are just going all over the place. That would be like us not being able to block them, not being able to get them to sit down. So strychnine blocks glycine and glycine is needed to stop nerves from firing constantly all at once. This results in a lot of the symptoms that we see. It's making it to where their brain and their spinal cord are just firing over and over and over and over again. Let's now talk about what those symptoms are that we're going to see in these pets. The symptoms start to appear within like 15 minutes to two hours after ingestion. This really just depends on a lot of different factors, but the biggest one is whether they ate recently. Let's say they ate dinner and then they walked outside and they ate some of these pellets. Symptoms are probably not going to occur until like maybe two hours after ingesting it then because they have to digest all of their food plus digest the strychnine. But let's say they went outside on an empty stomach and ate it. Now those symptoms are most likely to occur within 15 minutes of this, of ingesting it. So initially the pet seems like really restless and agitated and anxious. Again, think about ADHD kids, like just super restless and anxious. They'll also start to show muscle stiffness. They may be drooling like really profusely, and then they can experience things like muscle spasms, seizures, and could even have like difficulty breathing. The muscle stiffness can actually distort their face too. It makes them have this like grimacing appearance that is like that. So their, their lips are really pulled back and then their teeth are showing. So it looks like almost like they're very nauseous. Then as this disease progresses, the pet may start to appear like they're having really like really rigid muscles and their limbs become super stiff. They'll have an arched back as if they're like, they're having belly pain or abdominal pain. And then without that initial treatment, these muscle spasms can lead to really bad things. They can go into kidney failure or they can go into cardiac arrest, which is fatal. So now let's tie this all together, like with the glycine. So if the nerves are firing over and over and over again, their brain is overloading as well as all of their muscles because their muscles are just like super stiff, just like out like this. They become very stiff because the muscles that extend your arms are actually more powerful than the muscles that flex them. 
So that's why you'll see a lot of dogs that have like really extended muscles because it's actually more powerful, like your muscles are more powerful for extension than flexion. So you'll see their muscles very extended or straight and not wanting to bend. Those muscles become like shaky and start to have severe tremors because nothing is stopping their brain from telling their muscles to move. This eventually leads to seizures. Seizures and tremors make the body temperature go up because their muscles are generating tons of heat by moving constantly. And then as that body temperature goes up, that is something called hyperthermia, meaning high, hyper is high, thermia is temperature. And that makes their brain start to swell as well. And eventually all of these things will lead to death if they're not diagnosed and treated properly. What should the pet parent do if they do suspect that their pet has gotten into strychnine? If they know that their pet has gotten into it or they even suspect their pet has gotten into strychnine, they should bring them in right away. They can call the ASPCA Poison Control or the Pet Poison Helpline, but tell them to do that on their way to the clinic. We want them to make sure that they are calling on their way so that, that way, if we can get the pet there in time before it starts showing any clinical signs, we can actually do some interventions or we can help stop that that temperature from going too much higher. I do usually like to tell people, I don't know that I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but with the ASPCA, I don't know if Pet Poison Helpline does this as much, but ASPCA, if people have pet insurance or certain type of microchips, the ASPCA will actually waive some of their fees. Or sometimes with pet insurance, they'll give that money back. They'll reimburse them for it. It's really depending on all the different types of pet insurances. So I don't really go into which ones, but that can help sometimes when people are really hesitant to call. If they have pet insurance, you can tell them like there's a chance that they'll get that money back, but they need to talk to their pet insurance to know for sure. But like I said, call, they can call SPCA or Pet Poison Helpline and then get the pet down here immediately. The quick response is like the most critical for this because the veterinarian needs to know like what it's been exposed to, when it occurred, what symptoms the pet is experiencing. So we know how to next diagnose and treat this pet. Now let's talk about like how strychnine poisoning is diagnosed. Unfortunately, there is no test that we can perform in the clinic that is going to tell us if these symptoms are caused by a toxin or not. You can take some of the vomit if they do vomit and send that out for testing. That's the most um, accurate way to be able to, to diagnose it. But if you do that, it's going to take anywhere between five to seven days to get that back. And the pet does not have that much time. We can get a diagnosis for them if they're worried that their pet was poisoned, but we can't start treating them based just off that. So we have to start treating them regardless. We have to make our best guess based off of the history that you guys get from the pet parent. So that is super important. I know that a lot of people get really upset about doing triage. And I just need you guys to know this is very important. Triage is very important. It's, you guys are like the very first people to diagnose this, essentially. You are the ones who have to get a really accurate history for me so that I know what to do next. If I don't have an accurate history from people, there's no way I'm going to know that this pet had gotten into strychnine. I just start treating them with a seizure and I might treat them incorrectly. So I know people don't like doing triage because they feel like it's doing this over and over and over again. You're just doing the same things, getting a history from pets, taking a temperature and stuff. But like 
half these animals that I diagnose things on, I can diagnose half of them just based off of the person's history. Like, how important is that for you guys? That's super important that if you don't get the right history, if you aren't on top of things, that I might diagnose this pet incorrectly. Obviously, I'm going to go talk to the pet owner and I'm going to be looking at the, the pet and I might treat it differently than what it seems like you guys had come up with with your history. But if you guys have already given me the information to be able to diagnose it, that's, that's the best information that I can get, right? Because this pet cannot tell me what's going on. So triage is so important. And it's not just triage, like it's also receptionists. Like receptionists don't think about the fact that you're triaging as well. You know, you are asking these questions of the pet owners as well. Like trying to discuss whether they're not the pet could have gotten into a toxin and what the clinical signs are. Receptionists are triaging, triage technician is triaging. And so it's just, it's just a really important job. And, and I just need you guys to know that. All right, I'll get off my soapbox about that now. But based off of what you guys get from the pet parent's history and also clinical signs, that's the best way that I can get to the fact that this could be poisoning. One big clue for us is that these seizures are continuous. They aren't like the seizures that we normally see for pets who have seizures, those that are on seizure medications and stuff. Most of those patients think about how they look. They'll have one seizure, maybe two seizures, and then they go back to normal again. These patients who have toxins, these seizures are occurring over and over and over again, and they do not go back to normal. They're just becoming more and more and more abnormal. So you kind of have to go off of your guys' history and also what we're seeing for these patients. Let's talk about how strychnine is treated now. So treatment for strychnine poisoning usually involves hospitalization. We're usually giving IV anti-seizure medications, IV muscle relaxants, oxygen therapy, and supportive care just to help, and then monitoring them for possibly several days, depending on like how severe these the illness is and how severe these clinical signs are. So I highly recommend using Kepra for any patient that is possibly having a seizure due to a toxicity. Some toxins will get worse if you give midazolam or diazepam, which are two most common medications for seizures, which is what people usually grab first. In this case, it would not be a big deal. It would not make the toxicity worse. But remember, there's no way for me to test this. And there is no way for me to know for sure that this is strychnine poisoning. So therefore, to be on the safe side, Keppra is the safest one. It is not going to make these things worse. As far as muscle relaxants, we usually give methocarbamol. The other name for that is Robaxin. That's usually our most common one. You can give it IV, which is great. Typically, we'll give them like IV boluses, meaning we'll give them large amounts at one time, and then we'll put them on a CRI, or essentially we'll put them on something that they're just like on a syringe pump or a syringe that's just like constantly infusing it into them. IV intralipids can also be used for this as well, which I think is super cool. There's lots of things that we're just learning about what IV intralipids can do. And if you don't know what IV intralipids are, that's actually like fat that you put into the vein so that the fat molecules can then absorb all of that toxin. Really interesting things that are happening with it, but it helps bind some of that toxin in the bloodstream too, because we can't get anything out of the bloodstream. A lot of times we're just diluting them with lots of IV fluids to try to help dilute out the toxin, but intralipids can actually like bind to the toxin. So because of how bad this can get so quickly, we do have to worry about things like hyperthermia. Remember that is really high temperatures. 
We do need to cool them down really quickly. You can listen to the hyperthermia episode. I talk about a lot of information on that because there's so much more to go into it. And um, I think it's very important to know like how to cool them down correctly. This can also lead to something called rhabdomyolysis. This means that there is a breakdown of muscle. So because their muscles are like constantly fiery to the point that their cells of their muscles are essentially dying. All of those cells like break open and all of the stuff inside breaks open and that goes to the kidneys, which will then lead to sometimes irreversible kidney damage. Eventually, the muscles of things like the diaphragm, so what helps you breathe, right, no longer work and they lead to something called respiratory paralysis and then hypoxia. Hypoxia means that they're not able to get any air into all of their cells or their brain and eventually it leads to death. So many words you guys are learning today, right? All right. Even in postmortem, meaning like after death, there's no way to know if it was strychnine besides using that stomach contents, if not all of it has been, has been digested. We can see things like bruising that's called petechia, which is like these little tiny red dots all over. Most of the time you'll see it on the gum line and in their belly. Um, you can see bruising of their heart and their lungs. And one interesting thing is that their pets will go into rigor mortis, like stiffness, very quickly after death. But uh, again, lots of things that can cause all of those things. Even just having severe seizures can cause all of these same signs. So there really isn't a good way to diagnose it besides knowing when they got into it. There are lots of other things too that cause these same symptoms. Things like mycotoxins, which come from like mushrooms or can come from compost. You can have it from tetanus. You can get it from organophosphates, which are a type of insecticide, caffeine, certain types of medications for things like depression, or even the medications like metronidazole can cause this if they are in overdoses. Cancers and so many more things can cause this. This is why it's so difficult for us to diagnose these things. This is not a toxicity that can be treated at home. This is super important to be able to, for our receptionists to be able to tell people there is no over-the-counter medication that can be given. And also by the time the poison is absorbed into the stomach, you, the pet is already showing clinical signs. You can't give a pill because it's going to take too long to absorb. And you can't even get them to swallow it most of the time. Remember, they're like grimacing and they're drooling profusely and now they're like having seizures. There's just no way to be able to give pills to be able to get them to, to relax their muscles. So therefore, it is highly recommended that they get immediate treatment and are hospitalized. Also notice that I did not like talk about inducing emesis or making them vomit immediately. So the reason why is because these clinical signs happen so quickly, but that by the time they get to the clinic, they're already showing these clinical signs. If they're showing the clinical signs, then we cannot make them vomit or give them charcoal. So the risk is far too great that they're going to aspirate. And most of that toxin has already been absorbed at that point anyways. The only time we really do that is if the pet had eaten food and then the owner knows that it got into strychnine and then we can make them vomit really quickly before they show any clinical signs. That is the best case scenario, but just unfortunately not one that we see very often. Other really important thing for people taking care of hospitalized pets is that these pets are like extremely sensitive to stimuli. So any noises, bright lights, or sudden movements can stimulate them so much so that it pushes them into having more seizures. So therefore you can do things like putting cotton balls in their ears 
or you can make like little glasses that you can put over their eyes using just vet wrap. I've done that before. I've done it with vet wrap and like our old fashioned x-rays, but you can also just do it with cardboard or anything to just kind of like make little glasses for them. And then you can like partially cover their kennel. That becomes a little bit hard because one, we don't get a good airflow through there. And so that's just going to increase their temperature, which I'm not thrilled about. And then if you partially cover them, then you can't tell if they're having tremors. So I'm not thrilled about covering them. I'd prefer to have the other methods if we could do that as well. And then if there are really loud dogs out there moving loud dogs somewhere else. So again, we don't push this dog and having more and more seizures. And then lastly, like prevention is the biggest key for this, taking steps to prevent the pet from being exposed to strychnine. If there's some sort of rodent problem, they have lots of other alternatives. Think there's alternative pest controls that they can use that are not strychnine. Or you can even use like those bait boxes to try to help decrease the chances they can get into it. Bait boxes are a little bit hard because the rat can pull the bait out and then your dog can still get into it. And these are really small pellets most of the time. So there's definitely a chance that the pet can get into it. Ensuring that the pet has like limited exposure to public areas where a they can go into other people's yards because strychnine may be put out for things like coyotes so they don't get into their yards, but they don't think about the dogs that are going to go through there as well. And then always just like supervising the pets when they're outside, particularly in areas where they're unsure if they can kind of come into this because they, they call this like the stray bait because they'll get rid of lots of stray dogs when they put these baits out. It's really concerning. There's people that, that definitely will poison dogs with this because think about how quick it acts, right? Within 15 minutes, it starts, those pets start having seizures. And let's say they do it when the person goes to work, the person is just going to come home, unfortunately, to a dog that's no longer alive. All right. So that was it for our strychnine. So I'll tell you just my cool story for now. I don't really have a funny story for while I was gone. We did do a lot of fun things, but it was so freaking hot there, like so hot. It was terrible. It was like even at nine o'clock at night on 4th of July, it was 97 degrees with, I don't remember what the humidity was, but it was terrible. But I saw some really cool things. Like this really cool thing that I did see was this ride that you can go to. Sorry, I know not everybody knows where I went. I went to Florida. We went to Universal Studios, Florida, and we went to Disney World's. I feel like this is like the only time that my kids are going to think that this is cool. After this, it's going to be like not cool anymore. But in Disney World, they had this really cool ride where they like showed you different ways of like how they do farming differently. If I, I know some people know this just being in the veterinary community, but not everybody does. But actually farming is really detrimental to our land. And just like they cut down lots of trees in order to be able to farm and then we farm all the nutrients out of the ground and then they have to figure out how to replace the nutrients. Like it's just, it's a really big deal. So they have started to come up with like alternative ways of farming. Some of them are like growing things vertically rather than horizontally so that we don't have to take up so much land. Uh, some of the things are using something called aquaculture and that's where they like have this land that kind of goes slanted. And then at the bottom is fish so they can recycle the water. So the nutrients that run down the Plants go into the fish area and then the fish are able to absorb it. And then those, re those water gets recycled back up to the plants where the nutrients from the fish then give nutrients back to the soil, which I think was super cool. Like we do farming of fish already and we do, and this is a great way to decrease the, the nutrients that are getting sucked out of 
the earth from farming. It's just, it's a really cool thing. If you ever want to look into it, you can look up like what Disney World has done for it. It was the Living with the Land ride. And again, just very cool. I'm sure you can find it online or something, but all right. Thank you guys again for listening. I'm sorry that I had taken that time off, but again, like it just, sometimes you just need to take some time off. Hopefully, if you have any questions about this episode, just on the dangers of strip name, you know, let me know, text me, email me, find me in the hallway, whatever it is, and I'm happy to go over those things with you. And I am going to do a couple things, like I have a couple things in the works right now. I am going to try to get Dr. Z to come on for diabetes and also to try to go over health certificates. So I have that working and then also to try to talk to Dr. Larson about just like communication stuff. So. I'm working on all those things and I will try to get them to you guys as soon as I can. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.